0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. Heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM 740.
1: The world doesn't need another sports show. It needs an awesome sports show. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. Neil, the boys are back. Let's talk sports. Sports.
2: Good morning and welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto. I'm your host, Walter Rigobon, uh, welcoming back in studio and welcoming myself back from a little sojourn. Of course, I'm talking about Naz Marchese. Good morning, Naz. How good are morning, you? Wally. How are you? I'm doing great. It's good to be back with you, Naz. Uh, you too. The... Uh, Sports world is uh, heating up, and uh, just to let our listeners go today, we'll be talking to John Steinbreder. John Steinbreder, one of the golf's most acclaimed uh, writers, and of course, two two big, big golf uh, items for discussion. The uh, Tigers win last week at the Tour Championship, Uh, and of course, the Ryder Cup, which is going on right now uh I'm uh, got it on my iPhone watching it as I'm speaking uh, Americans uh, uh aren't doing that great and uh, certainly we'd love to chat with uh, John Steinbrenner about that and uh middle of the hour the legend I'm so pleased to have him back it was announced uh, announced this week that Bob Cole is coming back for 10 games it's his 50th season with hockey night in canada it looks like might be his last season and uh, chatted with bob uh, on friday and uh, uh, graciously we will be spending a few moments with him uh, later on in the hour um, a legend truly ness uh, got to get a got to get a little uh, compliment in for my uh, for my beloved irish you're wearing your alabama hat this morning and your blue jays uh Pull out uh, and the bill sweater and, and the, the bill sweater. sweater. You yeah. got all the bases covered this except morning for, except, except for one: that, the Leafs, the Leafs, and uh, the Raptors and the Raptors. I can't but... <laughs> wear everything. <about> <laughs> well, we got to check out your socks. I got to look uh, no, see no. What, what you got there. And uh, anyways, um, uh, Fighting Irish, uh, great, great, great victory against Stanford last night. Alabama, of course, did their usual destruction yesterday and. Uh, Are marching towards what appears to be a national championship. Hopefully, some team, sometime this year, is going to make them work up a sweat. I haven't seen it yet, but Naz, I got to get into it right away. This Wednesday night, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Start the season against the hated Habs down at the Scotia Bank. You said it right. You said it right. The hated Habs. It's the Scotia Bank Center. I got. Yes. It's going to take me a while to not call it the ACC, but I will do my very best. Out of respect for all the money that Scotiabank is paying, has paid for those naming rights, uh, uh, so we'll, we'll certainly uh, try and uh, give respect to that. Um, you know, I'm still calling the I'm still calling the Sky Dome the Sky Dome. I, I don't remember when it became the Rogers Dome or whatever it's called, but uh, it is the Scotiabank Center. Um, it's Wednesday night. Um, I've uh, this is it's been a long, long time since there's been this much optimism uh, on an upcoming Toronto Maple Leaf season. Naz, uh, I'll turn it over to you. Uh, Your assessment of whether this optimism is well-founded.
3: Oh, it's definitely well-founded. As we thought, they're going to be very strong up front, and they have some... Holes to fill on D still, and hopefully that happens, right? But it's everything that everybody's saying, right? The power play is incredible, Wally. I've never seen a power play like that. So talented, so skilled. Uh, they're going to go up about twenty-seven, twenty-eight percent efficiency. And if you play the least and take penalties, you're in deep trouble.
2: Uh, I, I don't disagree with that uh, assessment, Naz. But I don't. I, I I'm very hesitant to try and uh, I don't want to rain on the parade. Um, <laughs> well, you're, you're about to rain on it. <laughs> I, I think they're a very good team, and I give all the credit to management. Uh, it's not a criticism. Um, they started off with a plan um, two, three years ago. Um, where they've come in in so short a period of time, I think we have to we have to give credit where credit is due. But um, you know, it's it's still a long way from preseason hockey to the Stanley Cup finals and a power play could look exceptional in some preseason games okay that's great it's better than it not being exceptional uh, but you know there's there's a lot of coaching excellence in the NHL that uh, if this power play you know and it was a good one last year too mm-hmm. uh, certainly a power play in the range of a 25 to 28 percent effectiveness that's pretty good power play no question and um, there's a lot of talent uh, in their forward lines. Uh, they've lost JVR. They've lost Tyler Bozak. They've lost Leo Komarov. Uh, JVR, they might miss Bozak and Komarov. Um, uh, with all due respect for them, and this is not meant to be critical of their games because they were contributors here. They're interchangeable parts. And there's a lot of talented players, and they've got some young guys now who are going to fill those holes. And of course, uh, we've got John Tavares or Tavares. uh, Five
3: goals in the preseason already.
2: Uh, An upper echelon player.
3: And playing with Mitch Marner, too.
2: And playing with Mitch Marner, who proved in the playoffs last year against Boston that he's got the capability of taking his game to, to a high level.
3: I said this on the show a couple of weeks ago, that I think that Mitch Marner may challenge Connor McDavid for the scoring title. And it's possible because of the way Marner plays. He's going to accumulate a lot of points, and playing with Tavares doesn't hurt.
2: (laughs) Playing Tavares certainly doesn't hurt,
3: and they get back if when they get back, Nylander. Oh my God, what a what a lineup!
2: Well, I I want to get into the discussion of Nylander, but uh, let me tell you my concerns about the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, Obviously, are they a Stanley Cup contender? You know. well, the, the 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 betting odds, the the bookies, uh, the lines down in Vegas, or you know, the so-called smart money thinks that they are. Uh, I think they've got them one-two with Tampa Bay, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so there's a lot of money coming in on the Leafs. Let me tell you my concerns about the Leafs. First of all, um, you know, it's 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 always difficult for a team. In a 31-team league, to take to to go from being a very good team to an upper echelon team, um, their defense, and you know, that's where the criticism of this team comes in. Um, may not be considered one of the top ten defenses in the league. Awesome. No, no, we could, we could have that assessment. There's
3: some pretty bad defenses out there. Yeah,
2: but the teams that they have to fight in their division, uh, you know, Leafs are being called a top five team in the league, top seven team in the league, and I think that's fair. Uh, they may not even be one of the top three teams in their own division. Um, they got to fight it out with Tampa and Boston. And, mm-hmm. you, know, and you know, you look at Tampa's defense, uh, you know, the Leafs don't line up that well, uh, even with Boston's defense. Um, I think if they're going to be exposed at any point in time this year, that's where it will happen. Certainly, we need a return to form of Zaitsev. He's a good player two years ago. Yeah, uh, A key element of their defense. In today's NHL, you need somebody who can get, turn, turn on their heels, get back, get the puck out quick. Uh, And there, and you know, uh, um, like his name is is Travis Dermott. Yeah. I mean, uh, the the, the top two pairings on the Leafs are pretty well set. And then you've got the third pairing and it looks like it's Dermott. And a gentleman, it's going to take me a while to learn how to pronounce his name, but uh, he's affectionately known as Ozzy, apparently. Ozzyganov. Ozzyganov has made an impression with with Babcock. So that, that looks to be the third line pair. What's always important in an eighty two game season, more so than anything else, is health. Most teams in this league, because um, you know, the the talent is spread out. There's no dominant teams anymore under the Sally Crap era. You have to avoid injuries to your key players. Um, you know, Matthews has gone down a little bit. They've managed to overcome that. But you know, you get a couple of key players hurt, that certainly affects yeah, that's your with, bottom that, line. That,
3: that's with any team. Though, and that's
2: obviously. with any team. And you get your starting goalie hurt and uh,
3: Anderson looked sharp in the preseason.
2: Did he? Yeah. Um, Anderson's gotta convince me. Uh, his stats have been pretty good. He's got a safe percentage in the .917.918 range. Uh, he 's been inconsistent at times he can you know he can you know he can be an all star goalie one night and give up some pretty bad stuff the other night he go he 's streaky um if he plays at the top of his game and the the Leafs manage their defense gels and they turn into a defense that manages to be quick and sharp and move the puck. Yeah, who knows what can happen. The ammunition
3: day. for D for them is going to be the, the trade deadline for sure. That's probably where they're looking down the road, but I would say the Leafs could acquire defensemen defenseman at the trade deadline, which is in March, and uh, that's where the Leafs will improve their D. They won't improve it internally because they don't have it, a player internally that can improve their D right now. The two guys they have, Sandine and uh, the other fella, I can't recall his name now, but Lindegren. L- uh, they haven't progressed they, they haven't progressed but they're, they're still ready. young they're, they're ready. not ready they're they're yeah. not young they're, they're young they're too young so that's where I see it right and uh, the least, least are in good shape Wally they are
2: certainly we're, we're certainly as optimistic as we've ever been and uh, it should be fun because they're a fun team to watch
3: I'd like to see what happens with Jake Gartner this year because he's, his contract comes up next year and that's a that'll
2: be discussed all
3: year long uh, I'm we've sure we've
2: got to go to break we're keep that one in the back of your mind as we got hopefully we get an opportunity to talk about that before the end of the show. And obviously we'd like to get the opportunity to talk about William Nylander who hasn't signed his contract yet. So those are two dis- topics. I'm going to put them on my notepad here and hopefully we get a chance to talk about that before the end of the show. Anyways, we've got to go to break. We'll be back with uh, John Steinbreder. We'll be talking about Tiger Woods and the Ryder cup. We'll be right back.
4: It was a rainy day in Pizzaville
2: when I travelled to Italy to explore my Italian heritage. I have family in Caprese, home of Michelangelo, who famously painted the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. It took him four years. We must be distant relatives because it took me almost as long to paint the ceiling of my garage. I'm sure he did a bunch of nudes, but I did two coats.
1: Pizzaville stone-baked pizza, fiercely Canadian, authentically Italian.
3: There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigobon Carly, the intelligent choice.
4: Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. You name it, they'll
1: argue about it. No sport left unturned. The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio.
2: And welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto on the new AM740. You're listening in downtown Toronto, ninety-six point seven FM. Live video streaming on the internet: www.zoomerradio.ca. We're pleased to welcome back to the Nazimwali Sports Hour on this Ryder Cup Sunday. Acclaimed golf writer John Steinbretter. John, good morning, and welcome back.
4: Hey guys, how are you today?
2: We're doing good. I'm uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to run a show here and watch the Ryder Cup on my iPhone and. Uh, my, uh, my, uh, my boomer, uh, zoomer eyes here are having a little bit of time making out. So uh, last I checked in, the, uh, the USA was, uh, was having a tough time uh, this morning as well, and don't know if they've managed to cut back into that lead. I think they got near to all square today. So certainly, John, bring, bring us up to date on what's going on this morning and your assessment, uh, U.S. had a couple of rough days. Why?
0: You know, it's, uh, I think, I mean, this morning they're kind of, it's about 50 50 uh, in terms of uh, blue and red on the scoreboard. The last, uh, the TV put it up. I've been watching it as you have. And there's one thing I always love about when the Ryder Cup is uh, over in Europe or when the Open Championship is on is I love being able to be up in the morning and have uh, golf on at 9 o'clock in the morning <laughs> as opposed to late in the afternoon and early evening. So it's kind of fun to watch. Uh, you know, the Americans aren't doing great. And, you know, Tiger just sunk a nice putt. DeChambeau just sunk a nice putt, but I still think uh, there's an awful lot of blue on the scoreboard, and, and it's going to be pretty hard for um, for the U.S. I mean, the, the Europeans only need four more points to, to take the cup. Um, I mean, I'm sorry, four and a half more points to take the cup, and, and they seem to be well on the way to doing that. Uh, Rory's playing well, although he just hit an errant shot. Stenson made a nice putt. Um, yeah, and, and once again, here we have the, uh, gosh, it seems like a, a repetitive, uh, redundant story, doesn't it? That the uh, the American team just can't get it together in one of these team matches. So I'm just looking at the score we just came up. So it's five U.S. and uh, four, uh, four Europeans uh, right now in one match off-square.
2: If you if, uh, uh, if k- along and get some of those flat sticks uh, uh, work, and uh, you know, it can turn two or three matches around, They can make it interesting. At least uh, that, that would be interesting. John, you wrote, uh, of course, you write for Global Golf Post, which is one of the great digital pu- golf publications in the world. Uh, and there's a great article you wrote this week about the, the course that they're playing at. Uh, it's called Le Golf National, it's uh, just outside of Paris. In fact, I think it's within uh, uh, close distance to the Chateau Versailles. It's up in that, up in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's interesting, one of the comments, and I, and I want you to make an assessment. Uh, first of all, your overall assessment of the course. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if you've been following Brando Chambly's uh, comments, both on, on the Golf Channel and on his Twitter account. Uh, He literally says that the way that the the Euros have set this course up has created a home field advantage for them. Um, Your thoughts?
0: Well, that's part of it. And I hope, Brandon, as you know, I got into this in my article. I hope Brandon does as well. I mean, yeah, that's part of the situation. Uh, This is a course that rewards accuracy more than anything else. So, um, obviously, the U.S. will set up their courses to help their bombers and their players. uh, The Europeans are doing the same here. But what's also really important here is this course, at uh, the Albatross course, which is the 118-hole course at a 45-hole complex about five miles from Versailles. Uh, It's where they've held the Open de France for the last uh, 26 years. Uh, The last two winners of the Open de France were Alex Noren and Tommy Fleetwood, both of whom are on Thomas Bjorn's team. Uh, Francesca Molinari has been runner-up at the Open de France here three times. So one way, um, you know, these players are very familiar with this golf course, very comfortable there, and it's not surprising, for example, that Fleetwood and Molinari went 4-0 Friday and Saturday playing together because between them they've got one win and three runner-up finishes on uh, the Albatross course there at Le Golf National. So, yeah, setup is part of the home field advantage, but for the European players, and, you know, Rory may be an exception or somebody who's maybe not playing that event so often. But the European players who play a lot in the European uh, tour, they're very familiar with this golf course and they're very comfortable there. And not many American players uh, go over there to play that. It's usually at the end of uh, at the end of June, sort of between the Open and the, um, you know, the U.S. Open and the Open Championship. So it's not a trip they're making when they're having to go back to Europe a couple of weeks later. So I, I think that's a huge thing just in terms of comfort, in terms of familiarity, and um, it gives them a the real advantage, and then you throw in course setup, and it's um, you know it's it's game over in
2: a lot of ways. John, I, I, I the, and, and you you alluded to the point about the way they've set up this course, and the way they've set it up, and I you know I was watching part of it, uh, watching you know it always seemed the Americans were were hacking it out of the out of the rough, uh, and and it's a and it's and it just. It's something I've, I, I, I've observed in golf over the course of the last 10, 15 years. I don't know if you've observed it at all. With the technology um, that exists today, uh, golf, you know, and you see these driving statistics on the U.S. Tour, on the PGA Tour, mm-hmm. where, you know, they're all hitting at 320, 330, 350. Uh, but then you watch them after their drives, and especially with Tiger quite a bit of the time. You know, they're, you know, they're 20 yards off the fairway. Um, and, and you look at, at, at the stats of, of who the Europeans picked for their team. Six of their players are in the top 82 in driving accuracy, not distance. Mm-hmm. Eight Americans are in the bottom 82 of driving accuracy, not distance. It almost seems like the European game is different than the American game. And, they, you know, i got to give these Euros credit. They set up this course to penalize wildness off the tee. Is that your assessment?
0: Yeah, I think it is. And, again, they have to play with their strengths. It's their prerogative to do so. And I think it's smart on them to even amplify the fact that they not only know this course better, but then to set it up to suit their games. Um, you know, I, I think it's it's absolutely brilliant. Again, you know, it's not over yet. Obviously, we're seeing this, but you know, we just we've we've seen this movie before. After the Americans won the first three matches on on Friday morning in the uh, in the four balls, I mean, the U.S. won on this sort of epic run there. All of a sudden, and uh, it's time and time again. And and you're right about the distance thing. And it's so funny when you go to a tournament and you watch these guys swinging off their heels and just you know, with, without a care in the world of where the ball goes sometimes. And uh, here it's a different story. you got to be very careful about where the ball goes. And I, I've, I've walked that course. I was there last year for the uh, opener de France. I mean, last year meeting in 2017. And when Tommy Fleetwood won it and walked the course, and, and that is some gnarly, difficult rough. And if you get off that fairway, it's hard to find your ball uh, without, you know, crowd there uh, and, and, and very hard to hit out of it and hit out of it confidently.
3: John, why is there a lack of success for Tiger Woods when it comes to Ryder Cup play?
0: No idea. It is absolutely maddening, isn't it? And I was just looking at, you know, Sergio's 2-1, and one, um, and I, I thought that was, you know, I thought you know, Bjorn had been drinking when he made that pick. I was <laughs> like, Sergio? I mean, my God, the guy hasn't done anything. Sergio's 2-1, and one. he wins a, you know, big match on Friday afternoon, and then a a match on Saturday morning, and, you know, Tiger's 0-3. Mickelson is 0-1, I believe, right? I don't think Phil's played after he he lost that that match, and um, you know, one match he played in. And it's just astounding to me that those guys don't have a better record. I used to always describe it with Tigers that I just don't think he cared nearly as much about the Ryder Cup as he did about his own, you know, playing, uh, individual playing record, and he was so obsessed and focused on the uh, – the majors and, and beating Nicholas in that regard. I just don't think it it, it it resonated with him. I think maybe it does now a little bit more, but he, he, it's it's just not something he's ever done particularly well at, is it?
3: No, that's true.
2: Uh, talking to John Steinbretter, John, uh, uh, of course, when you're talking about golf, uh, it seems that the conversation comes back to Tiger Woods uh, one way or the other. And, you know, Tiger and Phil both have, you know, don't have... To be quite frank, they both have very poor Ryder Cup records, and it's kind of surprising given what happened the Sunday before. And you talked about, you know, we're up at uh, at 6, you know, uh, early this morning watching golf. I was was on the other side of the pond last week, and I was watching golf at midnight at 12.30, (laughs) scrambling to try and find... Some way of watching Tiger win that tournament and finally managed to find an outlet for myself, which was the PGA Tour website, which was streaming the 18th hole. So I managed to watch it, but it was after midnight where I was. Um, and just the most phenomenal, phenomenal um, view on the 18th hole. It reminded me of the old Arnie and Jack days in the British Opens. You know, the entire crowd just ran at him, and he was like, walking up the 18th fairway with, you know, 4,000 people within shouting distance. Uh, and somebody this week, I can't remember who made the comment, they said the Tiger still drives the needle. And, and the comeback was he doesn't drive the needle, he is the needle. Um, your reactions to the Tour Championship and uh, and uh, how much <laughs> Tiger obviously still means to golf.
0: Well, if you want, if you want any example to get, and this may be a cynical view, but I'm as a journalist, I'm allowed to be somewhat cynical. Is is consider this? They didn't even have they didn't even invite Brooks Kepka to a pre tournament press interview at the Tour Championship this year. And this is a guy who's won two majors and, and, and has won the last two U.S. Opens. He didn't even get an invitation to speak to the media in a pre-game, in a pre tournament press conference. It's all about Tiger. It was all about Tiger at the PGA. Everybody was watching Tiger at the PGA. Everybody was focused on that, and here Kepka's winning his second major of the year. So it, it, it really, it's actually driving me a little bit crazy just as a, as a writer and in terms of fairness. Like, There's got to be more recognition of other golfers. Having said that, I fully understand and appreciate uh, what Tiger means to golf. Uh, I can't tell you how many times you sit in a bar, you sit on an airplane, um, you sit at a dinner table at a dinner party in conversation with people about golf, and they always ask about Tiger. He is, and probably more, I mean, only Arnold, to me, has ever he's ever moved and gotten people excited about um, a golf the way Tiger has. I and mean, Jack's the best, and you still can't argue with that, but what... Um, what Tiger does and what he has done with his comeback and he's caused you know grown men who should know better to positively swoon um over his comeback And, and I mean he won you know the tour championship it wasn't Hogan walking 36 on bad legs you know to win the U.S. Open after almost dying um in a car wreck so I I have a little bit of a hard time when uh, usually sober-minded uh, scribes are described as the <laughs> greatest comeback of all time in golf, but he is, he is that big, that powerful, that impactful that he causes people to do that. I mean, it's just remarkable to me. And uh, that scene coming up on, uh, on Sunday in Atlanta, I mean, as terrifying as it was, and if, if you want to have fun, go on YouTube and watch that. And you watch Roy McElroy absolutely bolt. Cause he sees the hordes coming, and I think these guys were are understandably scared a little bit for what was going on, but that was so remarkable to see, and it just speaks to Tiger's popularity and the fact that he not only moves the needle, needle, but as you say, he is the needle. He is um, absolutely the most impactful player in golf, and uh, and people want to know about him and follow him and read about him, and they want him to win. And I keep thinking, you know, going down to Augusta next year, if he's in the hunt in Augusta, and I've been there when he has been, people are going to go yeah, nuts crazy. over it because they nuts. just love him.
3: John, when it comes to the FedEx Cup, I think the FedEx Cup is a good idea, but I have a difficulty following it because of the mathematical equations. <laughs> how does that change next year? There is a change going on, right? Yeah, there is one which I,
0: I've, I don't understand. I still don't understand how it works right now. Um, I just know that there are, you know, three tournaments at the end of the year that attract, you know, the best players in the world and, and can get pretty exciting. I don't know a lot of the machinations, and I'm not sure I really care about them so much. Uh, I don't quite understand this, you know, people starting at 10 under and 9 under and all that and how that's going to work next year. What I do think is brilliant, though, and I'm really glad they're doing it, is ending it on Labor Day and, and, and letting and getting out of the way of, college and professional football here in the States because it just it makes a huge difference. I mean, it is amazing how viewership and interest goes down once uh, once people start playing football in, in America. And um, and so I think that's going to be great. But I, I have no idea. I, I get so confused by the uh, the mathematical equations. I'm an English major. I'm not a math guy, and I, I don't quite understand it, except I, I do love how... These fields um, are so strong, and there are so many good players in it, and I think by doing it the way they're going to be doing it next year uh, in August and ending on Labor Day is a fantastic idea and will make it even more interesting
2: for uh, for golf fans. We've been talking to John Steinbretter. Uh John, thanks for joining us. I just uh, checking checking my uh, screen here, and I noticed a couple of uh, U.S. flags are popping up, and uh, they may be achieving a moral victory because Tony Finau is handing it to uh, to, to Tommy Fleetwood today. So, uh,
0: and I just and I just watched Rory. Uh, yeah, and he's uh,
2: Rory's a- bouncing around in a bunker here. So uh,
0: bunker shot into the water. <laughs> you know, it'll be fun to watch. I mean, it's not over till it's over. Absolutely, but it, uh, it'll be a lot of fun. And- Guys, it's always a pleasure being with you. Thank you so John, much for having me
2: on. you know how much we appreciate you. And uh, to all our listeners, Global Golf Post, it's uh, the world's best digital golf magazine. If you love reading about golf and some of the great golf writers in the world contribute to Golf Global Golf Post. And John Steinbreder is certainly one of those. Thanks so much, John. All right, guys. All the best. Cheers. Thanks so much, John Steinbretter. Uh, we'll be right back after the break.
4: It was a rainy day
2: in Pizzaville when I travelled to Italy to explore my Italian heritage. I'm in Modena, birthplace of Pavarotti. When I knocked on my cousin's door, he
5: opened it and said, My long-lost cousin, you've finally come
2: home. You must now marry my neighbour's sister.
4: I said I had to get something in the car and never went back.
2: Pizzaville stone-baked
1: pizza. Fiercely Canadian. Authentically Italian.
0: At Titanium Logistics, we believe that choosing the right shipping company comes down to two issues, price and cost. Most prices are competitive, will likely save you money too, but the cost of choosing the wrong company to service your cross-border freight to and from the U.S. and Mexico can be extraordinary. If it's not where it should be, when it should be, that bargain price, worthless. Titanium Logistics, on time, on budget. Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey.
4: Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice.
1: The only thing I love more than sports is sports radio. Take it away, boys. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio.
2: Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto. We were uh, uh, trying to connect with Bob Cole. We just had him on the line. We just lost the connection and we'll keep trying. Our producer Sebastian will keep trying to get Bob Cole on the line for us. but We're just chatted with him uh, just off uh, the air just a couple of minutes ago and got uh, that connection broken. Sebastian, please let me know when we've got Bob back on the line. Uh, uh, Bob Cole, of course, uh, was announced this week. He's coming back for his 50th season uh, on, on Hockey Night in Canada, and it's been reported uh, he's going to be doing, t- doing 10 games. Bob uh, Bob Cole, do we have you? Bob? Yes, sir. How are you doing? Uh, we're doing great, Bob. Thanks so much for joining us. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, we we're just having a little chat on the air. Uh, it was announced uh, Hockey Night in Canada. This is your fiftieth season. Congratulations! It's been uh, you've contributed so much, so much to hockey. Um, it's been announced you're going to be doing ten games starting with Montreal, Pittsburgh, I believe, this coming week, and. Uh, Bob, how do you feel about, uh, we are certainly happy to have you back and we'd love to see you be doing some Toronto Maple Leaf games. Any idea in those games that you're going to be doing, whether we're going to be able to slot you into a Toronto Maple Leaf game?
5: <laughs> that would be nice. It's been a while since I've uh, been there. Uh, and, and the team is looking better all the time. Maybe it's good uh, for Toronto that I'm not there. but I don't know. But <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I follow them when I can, uh spent so many years there and uh brendan shanahan i've always had great respect uh, for brendan and uh he, he's doing a great job i think and uh, everybody is falling in line so that's that's good mike is uh, of course mike and yeah i i'd uh, i'd love to see them live
3: bob what was your opening game that you broadcast play by play by play in the NHL?
5: yeah my first play by play it was uh, ironic uh I was in the semifinal doing color on CBC radio with Bob McDevitt, who was doing play-by-play for Sunday night hockey with the Montreal Canadiens. And uh, they were trying to find a place to work me in one day, and they decided that I'd do game uh, five in Montreal. But uh, things happened, and uh, that didn't work out. So they set me up for game six in Boston. And that was uh, uh, April 24th, 1969. And uh I'll never forget that it went to two overtimes, and oh. Bellavo scored the overtime goal uh close to twelve minutes on the second overtime, and that was the only overtime goal he had ever scored in his career, so I was part of that, and he wrote that on a nice autograph he sent to me with a picture of himself uh, one time, so I still have that framed
2: Bob, I can actually tell you, I remember that game like it was yesterday, so You're right I, I certainly do um. Uh, I want to ask you about another important, important game. And it every every September twenty eighth, it comes up every year, and I'm just based on your chuckle there. I think you know where I'm going with this one. Oh yeah. Every September 28th, and we've had uh, a few years back, we had Paul Henderson and Phil Esposito on our show on on that on the exact date. It was a it was a Sunday morning, and we talked to Paul. and We talked to Phil. And oh, had, wow, that was marvelous. And they, and they had two totally different uh, mm-hmm. recollections of. Uh, uh, but this week september twenty eighth you go on Twitter, everybody still remembers exactly where they were. I still remember exactly where I was when that when henderson scored and what's what's I, I would say what's lost in the story, but um everybody remembers foster hewitt's call of course uh, but Bob Cole called that Paul Henderson goal as well, Of course, you were doing it for radio, and well, I actually went back on YouTube this morning and listened to it. Yeah. Uh it was a great call. Uh, uh okay, it, it, you know, exciting and and you tell uh tell us uh, where you were in the arena and uh just your your recollections as a broadcaster about announcing that goal. Well, Foster uh uh with Brian Coninker
5: was his color man. Uh, I think back then for uh, CTV and uh CBC Radio had the uh, contract to do it, and that was fabulous. And uh, I was lucky enough that they chose me, Alan Gilroy, the late Alan Gilroy, who was head of CBC National Sports. And uh, anyway, I was in the booth uh, a little bit to the right of Foster's position, and it was ironic. Uh, Don Ory and I became good friends. Uh, His his wife uh, couldn't make the trip and uh, he wasn't playing ever since the first game in Montreal where Harlamov I think went around him and scored a goal and uh, he didn't quite get back into it again but he was a great guy and I invited him up to the booth uh, to uh, to watch that seventh that you know the final game the eighth game of the series and uh, he did he, we didn't have much room but Fred Scambetti was doing color so Don came up and uh, squeezed in there to my right, and he was great. We went through it all. It was five-three, I recall, going into the third period for the uh, Soviets. And I said to him, uh, we both smoked at the time, <laughs> and uh, thank God we don't anymore. But uh, uh, everybody was out. out- in that area, having a fag over there, it was terrible. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. I, I said, what do you think is happening in the room now, Don? And he said, well, I can tell you what's going on. They're, they're not talking very much, but the coaches are and so on. And they're just saying, we're going to go out in the early part of the third period and just give her go for it. And if we give up more goals, so be it. It's done. And they did. And they got a goal. And then they got another goal. And, of course, uh, you just... Uh, uh, brought back some memories for me, which were great. Esposito dug it out of the corner and flipped it around the net, and Henderson took a couple of whacks at it and scored the goal. And uh, oh, it was it was fabulous. I, I guess I'll never forget that, and uh, and uh, I too have a copy of it. Of course, somebody sent it to me, so that's nice to have. It was a great great moment. I don't think you should never say never about anything in sports, as you know, but. I don't know if there'll ever be another series that that started like that one, eight games, and wound up like that one, and then Canada winning. I mean, I got notes from people at ships at sea and all over the world. It was great.
2: That, Super. It, it certainly, I, I just, we, both Naz and I lived through that, and uh, it would be impossible to replicate that series. But uh, there's one other, one, and I know, I know, uh, we uh, won't keep you that long this morning, uh, Bob. I know you have to get on. Uh,
5: no, no I, if you don't mind my saying, uh, yeah. I just thought of something when you were talking Go like ahead that. If please. there should be another series like that. Yep. I hope I'm lucky enough to be doing it.
2: Uh, we And we've got our... <laughs> you've got two votes. Since you've just said it, you've already got two votes in your favor. Absolutely. Naz and I are back in your 100%. <laughs>
5: Thank you. Let, let me ask... I, I'm kidding, but you know what so, I mean. It's nice to be thinking that way. you got to be positive in the world today.
2: Absolutely. Uh, Bob, we have to ask you. I have to ask you. Okay. Uh, you, you've been so much a part of broadcasting and so much a part of the most important moments... In in hockey history, they're going home. Oh yeah, they're going home. That, of course, we're talking about uh, the Philadelphia Flyers and in the in the Russian uh, Soviet Red Army team. Yeah. They, they pulled their players off the ice. Uh, I'm sure we've talked. To, we've talked to broadcasters on this show. We've talked to uh, you, <laughs> and it's not something you scripted and it's not something you can script and the great the greats don't script their lines. You just react to what happens. Uh, I'm sure that that just came out spontaneously but when you had an opportunity I think you're right
5: and it, it sounds a bit corny to me now yeah. but they, they play it a lot in different places and uh, I guess it's uh, an important part of uh, hockey broadcasting and hockey series, that too was an electric moment because there were two teams over, the Soviet Wings and the Red Army, as you mentioned, and the the Soviet Wings had defeated the New York Islanders the Saturday night before this game. This was a Sunday afternoon game. So this was the final game, and I don't know if people realize it, but there was something on the line there in that game. That uh, the fact that the Islanders lost to the Soviet Red uh, uh, Wings last night, uh, the the winner of this game this afternoon in Philadelphia would be the winner of a series, Super Series seventy eight, they called it, and so there was a lot, a lot on the line. So you're right, you, you don't think about it that when they pass underneath us at the old Spectrum where we had our broadcast booth just above the Soviet bench and they they climbed away from Alan Gilroy who was the uh, referee at the time It was his final game by the way and uh, anyway they walked right underneath our booth and you could see uh, the looks on their faces how determined they were that they were gone this is uh, not for them they're going home and it just happens and so uh, i th- i thought i had i thought i'd lost my job really when <laughs> we were leave- <laughs> we were leaving boarding the aircraft in Philadelphia Ralph Melendy was our exec producer and I said, well, I guess I did it today. And he said, Bob, that was the best three minutes we had in broadcasting for years.
3: I remember, Bob, correctly. If I'm correct me if I'm wrong. Danny Potman was the color yeah. man that day, right?
5: Yeah, he came over right after the game last night in Long Island, and uh, he was in the booth with us. You're right. What was his
3: reaction to it all?
5: Well, we were all in the same throws, you know. We were all uptight, and... Uh, yeah, Philadelphia looked like they they meant business, and they did. Uh, uh, Barber hit somebody. Uh, somebody else hit somebody, and the the bodies I'm were kidding. flying. And Philadelphia <laughs> scored, and it looked like it's going to be done great today. And uh, and when the Soviets left, we were all in shock. I guess it was a long time with Clarence Campbell and uh, the Soviet officials and Alan Eagleson and he worked that out somehow, telling them that if you don't get back on the ice now, you're not getting paid for the series. <laughs> of, of course, so the other that apparently is what they tell me happened, and they came back out.
2: The other interesting part about that series is that 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 Philly game the, the 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 going home game happened on a Sunday afternoon yeah and it was. and, and uh, i think three or four nights before the red army had played the montreal canadians in the so-called greatest hockey game ever played it was new year's eve it was new year's eve and the, the habs had outshot the soviet army team that game 39 to 13 but they didn't win yeah. so we absolutely had to beat the soviet team on the sunday and 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 their going home is uh, wow. Wow. What a call. <laughs> I got to ask you one other question, Bob. Uh, okay. of course, the other one, uh, one other question. If, uh, I, we could spend a whole day with you, but you, I know you don't have the time for that and we've got it. To... Oh, baby. Oh, baby. Where did that, oh, yeah. where wow. did that come from?
5: Oh, it's just like, uh, some people might say, uh, oh my goodness or darn it or whatever. I mean, Somebody said to my daughter, Megan, I have three daughters, they're all great, of course, and uh, and uh, somebody said to Megan one time, uh, well, where did he start doing that in a hockey game? And, and uh, Megan said, are you kidding? He used to do that at home running around the kitchen. Something go wrong, that would be old baby. What have I done now? And, you know, it's just a, a little something that's crazy, but I don't use it that much, but uh, it'll happen. I hope it happens more and more and more.
3: <laughs> Bob, I have to ask you a question in your 50 years, who's the best player you have seen in the
5: NHL? Can't hear that. What was that again?
3: Who is the best player you've seen in the NHL in your 50 years?
5: You know what for me to 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 uh, uh, name one player who was the best I'd ever seen uh, there's so many decades and so many. So so many different eras. I don't think it's fair to single one out. Of course, I loved Gretzky, and he was magnificent. Of course, I loved Bobby Orr; he was magnificent. And the goalies, Terry Sawchuk, and when I first started, and uh, and on and on and on, and you know, uh, Guy Lafleur, and there's so many of them. And today we got so many great youngsters coming up now, and looking better than ever, faster than ever. I don't know. It's a great game, and it's, it's almost too fast now. But, uh, you know, I talked to, I won't mention any names, but I talked to some players about that, and they're all in agreement that the game is so quick today that the real good players uh, don't get a chance to stand out two or three times in a game. And the, the checking can be so close because of the speed. Everybody is lightning fast. And then you don't get a chance to make three or four quick passes in a row on any particular attack. I don't believe it's it's got to be done so quickly now. There's no time for for a, a Bobby Orr to take off and stick handle through two or three guys and ring one off their crossbar or something, or Gretzky doing the same thing. The other, you know what I mean? It, it's, uh, it's 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 uh, there's so many good skaters in
2: the game today. It's it's unreal uh bob you've uh, you've been gracious enough to give us a, quite a bit of your time this morning, and so we don't want to overstay our welcome with you. Uh, I will simply conclude with this: uh, Ten games have been announced. Uh, I know Naz and I are going to be listening to every single one uh, hopefully uh, tomorrow morning i'm going to send an email to the people at sportsnet we uh, hockey night in Canada we certainly want Bob Cole to be doing at least one or two Toronto Maple Leaf games in, in well, let those me get 10 by games by the
5: first game first uh, okay. the next Saturday in uh, Pittsburgh <laughs> and uh, and then see what happens. They uh, else say, "Well, it's time for him to quit.
2: Uh, no, it's it, it isn't, believe <laughs> me. We love you. Uh, we'll just Thanks. say you've been such a big part of Canadian sports broadcasting for so long. Uh, I'm just going to do it th- this way Bob. I have that we I have the highest respect for you. I'm going to very simply say thanks Mr. Cole thanks for everything I uh, hope we chat again real soon and if the Leafs make the Stanley Cup final we want you to be a part of it one way or the other
5: <laughs> Okay well
2: it's nice talking to you guys and uh, and uh, hello to your fans. Thanks so thanks, much Bob, Bob Cole uh, Wow you know what uh, he's won so many awards uh, every single award you could possibly win Order of Canada um like some of the most iconic moments in Canadian sports history, he's been a part of. Um, true gentleman, uh, and I know I know he wants to do one more it, Toronto Maple. Great,
3: game. it would be great if it was Toronto and Montreal. Wouldn't, wouldn't
2: that be amazing? Bob wouldn't that Cole, be amazing? Yeah. Certainly, uh, we'd love to see that. Anyways, uh, thanks, Mr. Cole. Uh, moving back to the Toronto Maple Leafs, there's two topics we said we'd try and come back to. Let's talk to uh, everybody's been talking about the Toronto Maple Leafs and their stand. They're going to win the Stanley Cup, and everybody's getting their chair ready on Bay Street for the parade. Uh, but the biggest, the biggest uh, story coming out of Leafland this week is a player who's not ready to play. William Nylander has yet to sign a contract. Um, kind of surprising. Um, Because you would have thought that the number that would have been settled on is not all that controversial. The number, according to most reports, should be between six to six and a half million, based on comparables. Uh, David Pasternak, uh, other players of his uh, of his cohort, who are uh, signing these types of contracts. I think the numbers probably should be around $6 million, but if you got to give him a couple hundred thousand dollars more to keep him happy, why not? But the reports floating out there, Naz, is he's asking for $8 million. I don't know how accurate those are. We're, I'm sure we're going to find out. Uh, but William Nielander isn't worth $8 million. Uh, he may be worth $8 million in a couple of years, but in terms of his leverage in terms of where his contract fits into the collective bargaining agreement and everything else that goes with it. Um, uh, and starting Wednesday, he's it's going to start costing him money. And apparently, um, uh, it will cost him... Tens of thousands of dollars every day. Not every game. Apparently, they get paid by the day, not by the game. Um, so, unless his uh, his signature gets on a contract before Wednesday, uh, this is going to start costing him money. Where's this going, Nancy?
3: The offer out there, from what we understand, what we're hearing is six years at six and a half million dollars. Six at six and a half. And that's so an offer that's from the Leafs. From the Leafs. If I, that's the
2: number. I does. I I can't see. Uh, I can't see the Leafs paying him more than that. It wouldn't make any sense.
3: No, I think that's the number.
2: I mean, how do, how do you go? How do you go above six and a half million? I mean, okay, he's got what sixty-one points last yeah. year, over sixty points two years in a row. No, I'm not criticizing his talent. No, it, no he's question. obviously a very talented player. I think it'd be signed. I'll
3: th- I think it would be signed pretty. Pretty,
2: I uh... mean, the comparable that people use when when you're sort of trying to evaluate uh, Nylander, where he fits in the grand scheme of things, is David Pasternak, and um, he was pretty uh, impressive in the playoffs. Oh, Pasternak! Yeah, yeah, And, pa- and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Naz. Pasternak signed for six and a half. Yes. So I don't see how you get. I don't see how Nylander makes more than that. I don't. I don't. Nylander's a great. He's, he's a really good player. Uh, I don't think he's yet at at Pasternak's level. Am I missing something?
3: Uh, no, they're pretty e- equally even. Just because he had a better, they may be even
2: in terms of. Well, pa- Pasternak may have taken his game to a higher level like because of his playoff, playoff time, performance. Yeah. But, but
3: Nylander, two years ago, was very good in the playoffs. So you can't really, can't really say. I think that that he's worth six and a half. Six years, six and a half is. I mean, playoffs. at the
2: end of the day, if if it's going to take uh, you know five hundred thousand dollars a year to to get his uh, you know name on a contract, I mean, if that's what you have got to do. Uh, you know, eight million seems out of the question to me. I just can't see Dubas and Shanahan and company going to that number. But if the number's between six to six and a half, then you know what, guys, get it, done. The, the get it very, done.
3: the least seem very confident that they're going to sign him, so I think that's what's going to happen.
2: And uh, we, you,
3: we have two minutes to talk about Jake Gardner. Well,
2: I'll, I'll turn it over to you, Ness.
3: Here's a guy that is going to in his final year of his contract, and he becomes a free agent next year. And he may end up getting 50 points again this year. How much is he worth on the market?
2: Well, I'll, I'll tell you because what he's, what he's worth and what he's going to get paid uh, are, in my estimation, two different things. In my estimation. Uh, but he's going to get whatever somebody's willing to, to pay him. Um, apparently, apparently, he's got a lot of market value. Because he generates a lot of points, and he's, and he's you know he's talented. He's got a good he's got he's got a skill set. He's got an offensive skill set. Um, they are saying that he, if he has a season comparable to last year's, where he's he's putting between fifty to sixty points, um, uh, you you could be looking at six and a half to seven million dollars. And you know what? I sort of give my head. I, I sort of give my head a shake. I mean, I look out there, and I mean, he's got a lot of skills. I'll be quite frank with you, Naz. And I know. And I know that the analytics guys, they you You're know are going to pick on Gardner. They they, now. they throw out his courses and all these analytic numbers. And you know, I'm a, I'm just a zoomer. I mean, I'm just an old. Uh, I'm just an old guy here. Uh, I just I just I just trust my eyes in terms of what I see. Uh, when I look at Jake Gardner, I don't see a six and a half to seven million dollar defenseman. I'm sorry, but I don't. Um, but if he proves me wrong this year and has a seven million do- dollar type of season, then they got the problem where they're going to find the money.
3: Yeah, where are they going to find the money? Because you do
2: got this. you got four or five guys ahead of them in the pecking order. Anyway, uh, Naz, last word. Go Bills. <laughs> Okay, Bills and Packers this afternoon at 1 o'clock. To all our listeners, have a fantastic and safe week. We'll be back next Sunday morning.